The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. If you have your Bible with you this morning, would you join me? Philippians chapter 2, as we continue our study through the Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. This morning we will close out chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served me or with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. My brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but also, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. We come to a portion in Paul's letter that seems a little out of place. It isn't strange for Paul to include this kind of information in one of his letters. He he does it in practically every one of them. It's helpful to be reminded that this is a personal letter, that all his letters are personal letters. They're written from him to real people that he knows about real issues in their churches. But what's strange in Philippians and what makes it seem out of place is that normally Paul saves these kind of remarks for the end of the letter and he doesn't put them in the middle of the letter. So why is it that Paul puts here what, what really is some travel arrangements? It's, a, it's an itinerary of sort. Why is it that Paul puts these um, remarks here after such rich theological teaching? Well, I would argue that these verses are not out of place. But they really serve us in an important way, uh, right where they are. 
If you follow the thread over the last couple of months as we've walked together through the letter to the Philippians, there's, there's really been a push after Paul gives some instruction that, that I think really informs and is the, the hinge point on the entire letter of Philippians, which is that we are called to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's Paul's command to us. Live a life as citizens of heaven in a manner. Let your conduct be, let your life be done, lived in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then Paul begins to sort of flesh out practically what that looks like. And remember, he's, he's writing to a, a church. He's writing to a corporate group of people. And so he says the way that you all together in corporate life, in church life, the way that you all uh, corporately live out your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ is by putting others above yourself. To live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, consider others more significant than yourself. It's a difficult task. And so Paul encourages us to look to Jesus and to have in us the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But He humbled Himself. He lowered Himself. And so Paul offers up to us Christ as the ultimate example of how to live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that as we live this life, that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That we are called to obey God in the same way that Jesus was obedient to the Father. That we should not do anything without, out of selfish ambition, but that we should consider others as more important than ourselves. And even though this is a difficult task, we should do it without grumbling or complaining. And so there's this, this thread of the, the theological and practical implications of what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so now Paul, right after this instruction, offers for us some real-life examples, some practical examples of this kind of life. Now, Jesus is the ultimate example. That's why Paul offered Him as the example first. He is the ultimate example. But He is also, while fully man, fully God. And so there could be some who would think, that we can't live that kind of life because we aren't God incarnate. We can look at Jesus and we can see the kind of life He lived, but He was God incarnate. So what are we to do who are just fully human? And so Paul doesn't want us to have this excuse that it's impossible for us to live this kind of life. And so Paul offers for us three examples in the text this morning of real people who are modeling for us and modeling for the church there in Philippi 
what it looks like to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ through humbly serving others. And those three examples, those three real life examples are Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. And aren't you grateful for godly examples that you've had in your life? Aren't you grateful for godly men and women who have modeled for you practically day in and day out what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? What it means to, to, to serve others instead of your own needs? Aren't you grateful for people in the church that have modeled this for us? Now, I know that there is a lot of hurt that can be found in the church. No church is perfect. Every church is made up of sinners. Every church is made up of selfish, self-centered people. And in every church, there are people who are more concerned about themselves than they are other people. And then oftentimes that sort of attitude can bring about some deep hurt and resentment from the church. But there is also, and there should be, within the body of Christ... Those who serve us as good, godly models. Not perfect, not flawless, but it is a grace of God. It is a grace of God that in the community of covenant believers, we have people that we can look to as godly examples to model and to follow what it looks like to live this way. That's what Paul's telling the church at Philippi. There are men who you can look to that have lived this kind of life and you know every one of them. Paul will go on to say in the next chapter, Philippians 3.17, Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. That it's a good thing to, to, to look at and to follow godly examples of what it is to live this kind of life. Paul says, imitate me. Paul is the first example. We get a taste of the kind of life that he lived in the previous verses. In Philippians 2, 17 through 18, he says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul was willing to, to give his whole life in the service of the church. He is willing for his life to be poured out as a, as a drink offering, as a, as a sacrificial offering for the faith of others, to build up the, the faith of others, a life of service to God by serving his church. This was the Apostle Paul. 
Paul desperately wanted to see the world one to faith in the gospel. Paul's heart beat for the Jew to see the Jew come to faith in the gospel. Romans 9, 3, he says, For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He so wanted the Jew to see the rich grace of God and the glory of Jesus Christ, God with us, crucified, buried, and risen to new life for the sins of the world. He was willing to be accursed and cut off for their salvation. Paul had this same heart for the Gentile, not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we get a, a taste of Paul's heart for the whole world. For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, the law not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Paul's driving desires to see the whole world come to faith in Jesus Christ. And this driving desire to make the gospel known to all people has taken him through all kinds of trials. Paul recounts some of those in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers Danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentile, danger in the city, danger in wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And now here is Paul in jail in Rome. And he has with him his most faithful companion, Timothy. He has Timothy there to bring him aid, to offer him companionship, partnership, love. And this is time of need. But what does he say in verse 19? I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. What an example of selfless living. Paul, under house arrest, in great need, unsure if he will live or die, is eager to send Timothy to them. 
Look at the language that Paul uses here in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus. This is literally, if it is the will of Jesus, and I hope that it is, I will send him to you. Paul's eager desire is for the church at Philippi to be able to receive his son in the faith, Timothy. Why? Because it would be better for them to have Timothy than it would for him to keep him. As much as Timothy offered him there in Rome, it was better for the church for him to send his faithful companion. What an example of open-handed living. A willingness to give and to sacrifice for the sake of others. Are you living open-handed like this? Are you... Following the example of Paul, are you willing to give even the things that mean the most? Are you willing to give that which you need for the sake of another brother? Are you willing to give of your time? Or are you bothered by being inconvenienced? Are you willing to give of your energy or are you worried that you won't be able to spend it on doing something for yourself? Are you willing to give of your treasures? Or are you greedy, <clears throat> hoarding it for yourself? Look at the, the Apostle Paul. Look at his example. Look at his eagerness, even in this moment of great need, to send his closest companion, Timothy, for the sake of the church at Philippi. The next model for us is Timothy. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him, Paul says, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Timothy, there's no one like him, Paul says. I have no one like him. Timothy was a native of Lystra is in the region of Galatia. It's modern day Turkey. We know this from Acts chapter 16. Paul on one of his missionary journeys comes there. Verse 1, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And they went on their way through the cities. 
And they delivered to them for observance the discussions that had been, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So that the churches were strengthened in faith and they increased in their numbers daily. Timothy was an, an interesting partner in the ministry of Paul because he sort of had one foot in both worlds. His father was a Greek. We don't know much about his father other than he was a Greek. His mother, Jewish. His mother's name was Eunice. His grandmother's name was Lois. And they were faithful to teach Timothy the law and the instruction of God. And so he was raised both with a Greek upbringing and a Jewish upbringing. He could relate to both the Jew and to Greek. This was right up Paul's alley. We don't know exactly who it was that led Timothy to the Lord. It could have been Paul. It probably was Paul. Because Paul considers himself his father in the faith. Though Acts 16 says that there was a disciple there named Timothy before Paul got there. We don't know. Most certainly it was Paul who was the one who discipled Timothy in his maturity. And because of this, Paul had a special relationship with him. In 1 Corinthians 4, 17, he says, This is why I sent to you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. 1 Timothy, he writes to Timothy, he says, To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from the God, from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Timothy joined Paul on his missionary journeys. He was with Paul in Corinth in Macedonia. He went with Paul back to Jerusalem. He was with Paul in Philippi as he was planting the church there. He was with Paul there in Philippi. The, the Philippians knew Timothy. He says that in verse 22 here, but you know Timothy's proven worth. I was a son with the father. He has served with me in the gospel. Timothy assisted Paul in the writings of almost every one of his letters. We see that even here in this letter to the church at Philippi, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Timothy was the one that Paul chose above everybody else to write to before his death. Timothy is a faithful brother. Look what Paul says of him. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him. What is it that sets Timothy apart from everybody else? I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. What marks Timothy's Christian walk out as different than all the rest? 
It was his genuine concern for others. Paul in Rome says, among all the Christians here, Timothy is the only one that would have a genuine concern for you. All the rest, Paul says, they seek their own interests and not the interests of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's already told us about these people. He told us when he said some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. As I read these verses this week, I I couldn't help but ask myself a question. If Paul was here and he had a front row seat to watch my life, What would he say about me? Would he say, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for others' welfare? Or would he say of me, he seeks his own interest and not those of Jesus Christ? I wonder what would he say about you? You know, there's... Something interesting to me here in the connection of these two verses, verses 20 and 21. Paul says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, you're just following the grammar here. It would seem to me that that should read, For I have no one like him who would be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests and not your interests. Right? Grammatically, doesn't that make sense? There's a shift there. Why? Because when we look out for the welfare of others, we are seeking the interest of Jesus. That's Paul's point. As we care for others, as we look after the the welfare of another believer, we're not simply caring for their interests. We're not simply caring for their welfare. What we are really doing, in fact, is seeking after the interests of Jesus Christ. As we serve others in humility, considering them as more important than ourselves, we are ultimately serving the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in His glories and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. And before Him will be gathered all nations. And He will separate People, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
Or I was hungry and, I gave, and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them and say, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Follow the example of Timothy. The third model is Epaphroditus. Now, we really don't know much about him, except what's here. What we do know about him is that he was not an apostle like Paul. He wasn't an elder like Timothy. It seems he was an ordinary, everyday church member. Aren't you glad that God uses ordinary people for his work? Epaphroditus was a a trustworthy brother. So trustworthy, in fact, he had proven himself faithful to the Lord. That he was the one chosen to bring to Paul the offering from the church at Philippi. That's what Paul means here in verse 25 when he says, Your messenger and minister to my need. The church of Philippi collected an offering to bring it there to Paul in Rome as he's in prison. And they chose Epaphroditus to be the faithful brother that would bring it there. That was important for Paul because when you were in prison in Rome, you didn't get, you know, three hots and a cot like you do here. You you had to provide for your own needs. If you weren't able to provide for your own needs, then you didn't have them. You went without and you could die from Hunger and starvation. So it was imperative that Paul had support. And so Epaphroditus was the one from Philippi that was chosen to bring him this offering. Paul says of him that he's a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier for the sake of the gospel. Apparently, as he went from Philippi to Rome... He became ill, seriously ill, almost to the point of death. Here's what's interesting about Epaphroditus. It it seems, in the language of the text, that it wasn't his circumstances that were the bother to him. It wasn't his illness that was the bother to him. That isn't what he was most worried about. He wasn't most concerned with his own circumstances and his own death. What was he the most concerned about? Verse 26, For he has been longing for you all, and he has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He wasn't distressed that he was ill. He was distressed that those he loved in Philippi had heard that he was ill, And that they would be worried about him. What selflessness. What selflessness. He's a faithful servant. A brother of Paul, a fellow soldier, an instrument for the glory of God and the church of God. 
Paul wants to send him back. So that Epaphroditus will have joy. So that the church will have joy. And so that Paul will have joy. Paul says to honor him. Because in his service to the gospel, he's, he's almost lost his life. Again, I think we need to ask the question. Would Paul say of you, give him honor? Give her honor? Because you're so willing to serve the church of God for the glory of God through the gospel of God that you are willing to give your very life. Would he say show honor? Are you willing to go? Like Epaphroditus, but maybe not across the world with an offering. Are you willing to go just across the street to your neighbor and to risk it for the gospel? Are you willing to serve in difficult circumstances? Are you so utterly focused that you aren't bothered by your own difficulties? But your concern is for others. Follow the example of Epaphroditus. What a grace it is to be in the church of Christ. To have models to follow. What a grace it is to be a model for other people. I wonder, years from now, when somebody writes the story of Christ Central Church, I wonder if they'll mention you and your faithfulness to the gospel, your care and support of those around you, your willingness to humble yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ and to serve others, to seek after the interests of others for the glory of God in the church of God through the gospel of God. And I hope by the grace of God, that's how one would describe this church. Father, would you help us by your grace to live this kind of life open-handed, willing to serve, willing to give, willing to suffer. And even in our giving, even in our suffering, that our concerns would not be for ourselves, but our concerns would be for others. That we would look after their welfare and in doing it, we would be concerned with your interests. Father, would you help us by your Spirit's power to live this way? We need your grace. We need your grace. Jesus, the ultimate example, 
May we have this mind in us that is ours in Christ Jesus. Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, lesser examples, but models nonetheless. Would you help us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.